Welcome to An Honorable Profession, a podcast giving America hope since 2018. I'm Ryan Coonerty. Along with Debbie Cox Bolton of the New Deal, I'm lucky enough to be your co-host. An Honorable Profession is a New Deal Leaders podcast. The New Deal is an organization that supports the next generation of American leaders. From attorneys generals, to state senators, to mayors, to school board members, these are the people that are pushing policies and politics that will respond to climate change, rebuild our economy, address racial injustice, and restore our democracy. These are incredibly talented people who have dedicated themselves to public service when their country and their communities needed it the most. Check out NewDealLeaders.org to see what I'm talking about. Happy New Year, Honorable Profession listeners and watchers. We are excited to bring you in 2024 conversations from the front lines of our democracy as we face critical elections at the federal, state, and local level. Our guests will give you insights on what to watch and how to engage in one of the most important elections in our lifetime. Today, we thought we'd start with a focus on one of the biggest issues at stake climate change. Our guest, Andrea Lernard, is the host of the Living Change podcast and an advisor to leaders on how to use their platforms to impact climate change. She shares great and really practical advice for anyone, from a concerned citizen to a global policymaker, on how to engage people to make change in their lives and in their communities. Here's to positive action in 2024. Enjoy. Andrea Learnit, welcome to An Honorable Profession. It is wonderful to be speaking with you today. Thank you so much for having me. I've been really looking forward to this conversation. It's a new year. 2024 will be many things to many people. None of it will be boring, I'm sure. But it may be a year that's critical for climate change. Can you talk a little bit about what we saw in 2023 and what we need to watch out for in 2024? Well, I think from my perspective, because I'm always looking at the influence and the political will. Right. And so what we saw in 2023 was a lot of, ah, everyone's freaking out and media coverage and what's going to happen. And COP28 wasn't good enough and all of this. And all of the media were saying, what we really need is bold action and political will. And I just keep hanging my hat on that. And so I'm looking forward to 2024 and just saying, okay, now's the time, people. You can own, embrace, and develop your own political will. And I'm loving the chance to potentially talk about that here. Yeah. So tell us how there's political will at the top, there's political will from the bottom and everywhere in between. Tell us each, maybe by sector, how we can demonstrate that political will to meet this moment. Well, for my podcast, Living Change, A Quest for Climate Leadership, I interviewed quite a few mayors and city council people across the US. And the way that they built political will for climate steps at all was by being visible about the fact that they were interested in it and then demonstrating it themselves in their own lives, i.e., well, one of your new dealers, Michelle Wu, Boston, right? She is seen taking transit. She is seen riding a bike. Thus, when she's talking about transportation policy and changes there, people believe her. And they're going to listen to it. And so I am a huge proponent of that. So at that local level, owning and embracing that if you're seen leading, and by being seen leading, I mean, you're reflecting the change that you're asking your constituents to to make. You're reflecting, hey, we can all drive a little less. Look at me. 
I'm riding my kids to school on an e-cargo bike, that sort of thing. And then the same would be kind of at any leadership level, at a state level, thinking about, you know, I'm out running around saying, we're a state that is going all in on climate, blah, blah, blah. What if, and this is me, and I hope it's not just pie in the sky, but there are ways that state leaders could be like, you know what, I'm taking this really seriously. And part of that intention is that my team is really looking at how much I fly. You know, how are we changing the way we, you know, I even get around and do things. And our one of my big bugaboos is cops in general, because everyone flies there and it's a big show and there's a lot of good stuff that gets done. But I have this idea in my head, what if a couple of regional leaders, state leaders, gosh, even national leaders said, you know what, I'm specifically not going this year because I'm making a stand and we're going to have a regional gathering and we're looking at the carbon emissions we're saving there, but I'm making a stand and that's kind of transportation policy, et cetera. So I think there are these ways that leaders at every level can reflect how they're changing the way they do things in their personal life and policies, internal things that they're doing with their teams as a reflection so that their constituents can take them seriously. They're seeing living change is what I call it. Are there any particular ways to live that change that seem to resonate more with people? I mean, there's, you know, climate can be a few big system changes. It can be a million little changes. What have you seen that resonates with the community to build that political will? Well, it's interesting because one of the people I interviewed for my podcast, Living Change, is Barbara Buffalo, the mayor of Columbia, Missouri. And she, for years, when she was first the city sustainability director, her whole point was that she wanted to walk or ride a bike more for transportation. And she just has been doing that for forever. And that's worked. Her, even the people who don't aren't going to end up riding a bike or whatever, they take her seriously and they know that she's sort of living the change, being there herself, and that she's open and engaging in a conversation about these changes that can be made. So I think when you're honest about what you're doing, when you're visible about what you're actually doing, and you're being a little vulnerable, right? By saying, hey, I'm going to ride my bike. And in a way, Barbara Buffalo or anybody might be putting themselves out there to like be a target for all the people who are never going to give up their cars, right? But by stepping that, taking that one step and being a little bit more vulnerable, she's opening up a door and inviting conversation and potentially helping people start to see this change. One of the things I think is interesting right now is the whole idea of moving to EVs. So a lot of people can't even conceive of like riding a bike for local transportation, but they can kind of get their head around maybe moving to an EV. That's another kind of easy thing, not easy, but that's another way to be seen living change. If your policies are that you're moving your city fleet or your state fleet or whatever in an EV direction, make that visible. Tell stories about how much the people who drive those city vehicles are really loving driving EVs. Right. You make you tell better stories. And then ultimately, maybe you as the governor or you as the mayor or whatever, you are like, yeah, when I turn to an EV, oh, my goodness, I loved it. I couldn't even believe it. Whatever. You reflect the change and you make it accessible for more people. It's messaging and storytelling. All the stuff I'm talking about is this sort of reflecting a story, you know, telling a different story, reflecting political will. Yeah. Well, I will say parenthetically, about a month ago, my neighbor had an EV. He was raving about it. I went and got an EV. 
I love it. I am one of those annoying people who then tells everyone in my circle about how wonderful it is and the tax credit and driving by gas stations and everything else. And you can watch the network effect. Well, and this is the thing, because I literally, just before we started recording this, this electricity guy came to do a final check on, I have an outlet so I can plug in my EV. That's kind of a bigger outlet. It goes faster. It's not a fancy charging thing, but it's this outlet. And I just had this conversation with this guy. And he's lived in this like kind of sleepy neighborhood in Seattle for years. And he's been working on it. And he's like, I was really resistant. He said, the more that I went to like install and double check these hookups for whatever, and people told me stuff. I'm convinced. And I was just like, so I wanted to get back to you, Ryan, and say, don't think it's annoying when you're talking about it. Because I have probably converted, I've probably sold 20 pretty expensive e-cargo bikes. I've probably converted a lot of people to at minimal Meatless Monday with my plant-based diet. And the EV car, even the like teenage boys who are just getting their driver's license are like, hey, Andrea, can I check that out? And I'm just like, this is influence, right? And this is influence that can scale however much influence you have or however much influence I have pales in comparison, right, to city leaders, state leaders, et cetera. And that's why I'm so excited about talking about climate influence and influence broadly, how we can use this for good to counter what conservatives or what Republicans are personal branding in a way. We can switch that story around for what we're doing here. Have you seen any good examples of folks using this? I mean, I think in a place like Santa Cruz and Seattle, you know, it's an easy sell or easier sell. And, you know, deeper red states, it may be a tougher sell. Have you seen examples of where people have changed that conversation in positive ways? Well, I'm really looking for that. I will say anybody listening to this that's in a red state where this sort of thing that I'm talking about is happening, please do ping me and let me know because these are the stories I want to tell. I call them conversion stories because if an unsuspecting, right, or an unexpected messenger. So for example, Barbara Buffalo, she's in Missouri, right? That's the one kind of mid-state that I was able to find this out, but I'm sure they exist. I'm sure Well, there's a mayor the mayor of Madison, I think she's very transit. And so there are all these kinds of stories from more red states that I need help finding, that we all need help finding, that frankly, the media would like some help finding, because this is how we switch the story of like, well, everyone's going to get an e-cargo bike in Portland and Seattle, blah, 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 right? Well, I think there's a way to maneuver that in red states. And it really just involves storytelling because I'm sure there are a couple of people that have gotten an e-cargo bike whose story we can leverage the heck out of. Let's hear your story. I mean, how did you find your way to this specific aspect of impacting climate change? And yeah, what's your history of activism? Yeah, well, it's interesting because I'm one of those people who's like, I don't know if I'm an activist. You know, it's just that I came up through, how do you make this long story short? I came up through kind of communication strategy. And in the early, late 1990s, early 2000s, I started a company and wrote a book and started speaking and consulting on marketing to women. And that's a really weird thing. Like, how does that connect? The way it connects is started to look at how women make decisions, which then got me really interested in well, hmm, seems to me that women make pretty good leaders. What are the qualities that women have or that women tend to use more? I'm not saying, you know, women are the only ones who have them. I did a master's thesis on sustainable business and communities, and I talked with only male sustainability leaders. 
And I said, what are the qualities that you really use that are kind of undersold with regard to being a sustainability leader? And they're like psychology, communications, all the stuff that's so-called soft skills that had been only thought of that that's sort of a women's way of doing things. So there's this through line. So sustainability leadership got to be my thing because I wanted to like make sure that things got greener and climate action and organizations were more responsible. So I got into that, started writing about it, started consulting about it. And the through line then brought me to action, climate, kind of business climate, corporate sustainability groups, NGOs. And in 2015, I was part of We Mean Business Coalition. I was on their team kind of leading up to COP21. And so I was very involved in social engagement strategy, which is my thing, which is the online space is building a leadership platform that you can make visible online without a lot of huge effort or flying around. And I'm able to make companies and leaders be seen engaging and being accessible to media and being accessible to constituents and feeling comfortable doing it. And so that's when my whole world switched into climate from 2021 on. And I've been working with corporate sustainability leaders, nonprofits, and NGO leaders on that realm and trying to be seen leading and to kind of filter up as the curator and convener of these conversations in their online platforms. What change have you seen since 2021 to now? I mean, it's a relatively short time, but our world feels like, it feels like decades, frankly, since then. What changes have you seen, both positive and negative in this space? Well, it's interesting because one of the things I've seen is that there has been an uptake of smart use of social platforms and things like that. But what it's involved is a lot of the organizations have gotten really good at putting their messages on their channels. I back that up and I say, listen, what you're missing is the fact that your CEO, your executive director, your congressperson, whatever, if they can find a way to be visible on a channel that really is them, that phrase is just like the brand itself has messaging and it's very structured and it's out there and they've got their schedule and everything, right? It's the humanity of the mayor or the senator or whatever, then also going, whoa, great conversation here, or we just voted on this, or I'm going to ride my e-bike over to wherever. That humanity adds a whole other layer to the branding that that organization is doing. So I think organizations have gotten good at using social media and uptick on video content and all this stuff, but really we're lagging in leveraging that one extra human leadership angle that in and of itself, if a human leader is then kind of quote tweeting or quote, you know, posting whatever the organization is, that has so much more weight with people because people connect with people, not brands. So I think there's a fear. There's a fear. People fear this. It's exposing them, but it's the secret sauce here. So social media is an amazing platform for, again, as you said, like reaching out and impacting a lot of people across large areas without having to, to get on a plane and drive a car. But it also tends to optimize for conflict and for extremes. And so, you know, how do you get engagement around something that's sort of a daily, simple, positive act? that may not cause people to want to throw a stone at the neighbor next door. Right. Well, the other point about social platforms right now is when you say social media broadly, everyone's like, 
oh yeah, I'm on Facebook or, oh yeah, I'm on Instagram or, you know, you name these platforms. The platforms that I'm speaking about with regard to this work and this influence and this potential here are the B2B or the peer-to-peer, the more professional platforms. It has kind of filtered out to what we've really got now is LinkedIn because in the past I built my whole career on Twitter and it's incredible. And if you know how to use it well, and a fair number of us are sticking on it because we can kind of use it and the climate media are still kind of using it in a way that we still have these conversations and can learn stuff without it getting too distracting. But obviously that's a really hard platform to get on now. I would say that even if you're looking at LinkedIn or there are these new platforms called Blue Sky, there's a lot of potential to use them and to become kind of an open conversation and engage in these conversations. One point that I want to make is that it isn't about what you're posting so much as if you're visible engaging. So you as a mayor, your office can be posting stuff or whatever, but if occasionally there's a really interesting conversation going on, you're following the top 10 influencers in whatever your topic is, your state, whatever. And you occasionally go on there and say, great point, I agree, blah, 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 here's a link to my policy, or here's a link to whatever. It's the engaging rather than the broadcast message post that is the secret sauce here. And I think there's a lack of doing that. There's a lack of understanding why or how to do that. And I will also say it takes a lot of time. People get all verklempt that they're not going to be able to spend the time. If you choose a platform like LinkedIn and go, you know what? I would like to be a scene among these 10 leaders. They could be peers. They could be academics. Who knows, right? Just follow those 10 people. Just find a way to engage in those conversations. I see political leaders doing really interesting things now. They tend to be younger than 50 and kind of understanding how to use that. But I want to make anyone listening to this feel comfortable. You pick a platform that you think you can get comfortable with. Don't worry so much about what you're going to post and how you're going to think of what you're going to post that day. Think of the topic of the day. So for example, during COP28, you can put the hashtag COP28 and just see what the conversations are like on LinkedIn about COP28. Then see a couple of key leaders that are talking and making good points, chime into those conversations. I think that's a key that a lot of people don't really realize. I think that's a good tip. Yeah. You don't often, you think about, well, my post and coming out of my office, but engaging in conversation is a key form of leadership and, you know, helping inform because often people have broad ideas at the international level about responding to climate change. They may not know wastewater treatment strategies and the reduction to climate change in your local community. They may not be thinking about it, but that could be one of the largest emissions in any given jurisdiction. So helping bring that into the conversation, I feel like is helpful. And to your point, it's bridging, right? So city leaders could all have been at COP28 doing whatever they're doing. They're on these big stages talking about global huge topics. They can come home and they can be on LinkedIn or whatever platform they're on, engaging in conversations around how the water treatment situation in their local area connects the dots to this bigger topic we were talking about, COP28, and vice versa. So you connect these dots to make people even read the newspaper differently so that they understand how these things are connected, and they're proud of their leader for really addressing them. Uh, Many mayors went to COP28, and I think you're seeing more and more local government leaders 
we've had significant federal action. It doesn't look like we'll have significant more federal action anytime soon. And so you're seeing more and more local leaders come into this space. How do you think that impacts the storytelling, engagement, and other opportunities in this area? I think it's huge because I feel like in a way it's almost too hard for citizens to impact or feel that they have anything going on with the federal. And then if the citizens can start to engage and be supportive of their local leaders, then a group, a collective of those local leaders saying, this is a big deal. All of our constituents say it. They can have an impact on the federal government. The way that those stories are told can be very strategic, right? Again, so it doesn't fall into, well, everyone in Boston and Portland and Seattle is doing this. As we all know, everyone rolls their eyes. That's just the left coast, right? Those are just the... And so being strategic about going, we got somebody in Seattle, we got somebody in Columbia, Missouri, and we've got, you know, these five leaders that are really representing a vast majority of the country are doing this. Tell those stories. And I'll back up and say the way those stories get told are both by the way that you're presenting them and you're shaping them from your communications team and your press releases and all that, but also by really understanding media relations. And the media, I mean, I follow and I'm really connected to a lot of climate media. They're looking for stories. We are not doing a good job making our leaders that are involved in this accessible and visible in all the cool things they're doing at the local level. And the local leaders teams can be much more strategic about how they're laying the groundwork and saying, you know what, our mayor or our leader in this town is doing this. Climate media, this is how it attaches to this much bigger story that you're covering. Let us know if you need a local resource because our mayor can speak to that. I don't see leaders doing a good enough job of that. The media are looking for more accessible leaders with really great stories to tell that they can connect to that bigger climate picture. And for those listeners who are not yet mayors, but are just regular people who, you know, go out and walk a neighborhood for their local elected official or may just want to get on a planning commission. So they may not have a large platform from which to speak, but they want to get engaged and they want to elevate these voices. What's your advice? Well, I think that you should see yourself as a leader, no matter the size of your platform, so to speak, right? You've got 100 neighbors that follow you, whatever. I think in the same vein, if you want to be seen, if you're running for office, or you should be seen engaging with those people who are already on city council, right? What the mayor's already saying. My advice there would be follow what they're saying on social media and make educated, wonderful comments that add value. Be seen adding value. Then People are going to go, who's this person? Who's this Susie Jones who keeps commenting on whatever? And you will build kind of a visibility that ultimately you can activate or leverage when you are running for an office, you see? So you start this platform development and this engaging and adding value at a very small scale. But here's the thing. So few people are comfortable doing this or take the step of doing it at all that you are really, really visible. If you start to engage and contribute value, you really are. And you can build on that very quickly. I love the idea of 2024 uh, being a year of added value and all of us trying to have a more thoughtful conversation rather than less. What else are you looking for for this new year in terms of climate change, in terms of messaging, in terms of leadership? What excites you about the year to come? Well, it's interesting because even for me, I've never seen myself as a tech person. A lot of the solutions, the climate solutions that I'm involved in are like less gigantic cars, less car technology, less, you know, ride a bike, you know, eat a plant-based diet, that sort of thing. But 
I'm getting into a world and I'm realizing, at least in the city that I live in, in a lot of cities, this term climate tech is what attracts people's eyeballs. And it's what attracts kind of the money. So figuring out a way to be involved in climate tech spaces and be seen leading there and be kind of a voice that bridges those topics to your community or to what you're up to, I think sort of embracing that climate tech topic, whether you think that's your topic or not, because I'm actually working on a climate, I'm programming a climate event in Seattle for Earth Week and going out and sort of talking to companies that aren't in tech per se, but realizing that everything that we do now, every company involves tech and that we need tech leaders and tech voices and tech opinions. And so understanding that and then trying to see how what you're doing connects, intersects, adds value to, should be in more of those climate tech conversations, I think is really helpful. I also worked a little bit on amplifying the whole story of California SB 253, the Corporate Climate Data Accountability Act. And that's a big deal. So they, you know, Governor Newsom signed it, and now they're getting down to details on the regulations. But so many companies and so many sectors are going to be impacted by having that kind of transparent emissions data out there, you can get ahead of that. You know, you can get ahead of that by telling really good stories, by saying, we know this is going to be rough to tackle the emissions from this blah, 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 but we're already, right, starting to work on it. So I think part of my work is always, I see all these stories and I read these things and I know what's going on in a lot of different sectors and I can know immediately how that connects the dots to some smaller thing or what a city's doing or what some candidate is running for. And you keep yourself in the news and you keep yourself fresh and you keep yourself being valuable by being the one who's connecting those dots in real time and saying, there's a lot of stories about XYZ in the news. This is how this connects. This is how my voice is going to be a leader on that. You need to elevate that and again, make that accessible to media and your constituents. We sort of live in a world where there's so much to get up to speed on and so much to educate ourselves on that we kind of need passive ways to learn a little bit more, which I think podcasts like yours are, right? You learn by listening to podcasts. And also these little nuggets where your local leaders are kind of cueing you in on, did you realize that this was connected to that? There are these real opportunities to kind of sneak in, you know, some education about climate stuff. And I think that's part of the power of this kind of climate influence and leveraging your platforms better. Well, let me just return the compliment. Your podcast is incredibly informative and thoughtful. I encourage all our listeners. We've talked about it before, but we'll talk about it again, the Living Change Podcast. Thank you. And it's been wonderful to talk to you today. And I feel like heading off into the new year with a little bit of optimism and also on a mission to live and talk about that change and add value to the conversations that are happening. Wonderful. It was fantastic to talk with you. And I have to say that it was listening to an honorable profession episode with Tara McGowan, which is from a couple months ago, that really got me thinking about this personal branding and the influence that local leaders and anyone in your cohorts can really start to leverage better. So I learned from you. It made me think. It's making me think differently. Now I'm doing something else with it. So it all connects. So thank it you. It all I've- connects. It all <laughs> connects. And hopefully connects and then impacts the world yes, uh, in so a way that we desperately need. So thank you and happy 2024. My pleasure. Same to you. An Honorable Profession is a New Deal Leaders podcast. Thanks to the team at New Deal for producing this episode. We encourage you to bring honor to public service. And because we keep things honorable, no tax dollars are used in the making of this podcast.